0: Hello and welcome to Harris in Conversation, our Harris Federation teaching and learning podcast brought to you from London. Our series aims to bring important and relevant teaching and learning conversations to you, whether you're a frontline teacher, a school leader, an educational enthusiast, or you just clicked on this by mistake. My name is Ollie Blagden and today I'm joined by someone who can only be described as a legend of education, Mary Myatt. For those who've perhaps heard of Mary but don't know much about her, she's an education advisor, writer and speaker, as well as a former teacher, local authority advisor and inspector. Mary has written extensively about leadership, school improvement and the curriculum. Her books include High Challenge, Low Threat, Hopeful Schools, The Curriculum, Gallimor Free to Coherence and Back on Track. And Mary has also established Mary Myerton Co., an online platform with films for teachers, teaching assistants, leaders and governors. Mary has been a governor in three schools and a trustee for a multi-academy trust. She co-founded the RE Quality Mark, is the chair of the board for the Centre for Education and Youth and is a member of the Curriculum Advisory Group for Oak National Academy. One of Mary's self-proclaimed mantras is that there are no quick fixes and that great outcomes for pupils are not achieved Through tick boxes. So, today we're here to catch up with Mary about the release of her most recent book, Huh Curriculum Conversations Between Subject and Senior Leaders. Professor Samantha Twistleton, OBE, writes of the book The authentic voices of people who are doing the work on the ground make a topic that can be intimidating, accessible, and meaningful. Tom Sherrington writes that the book captures the subject specific depth that is so often missing from generic leadership books. And Jerry Robinson, executive headteacher, writes that this book is essential reading for subject specialists and, even more importantly, the senior leaders who line-manage them. So, let's find out what Mary had to say about the book. Hello, Mary. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, great to be with you, Oliver. Thanks for asking me
0: thank you so much for joining us. Mary, let's begin at the beginning. Um, The book opens with what I felt was quite an apt quote from Sir Tim Brighouse, at the heart of school improvement is teachers and leaders talking about teaching and learning. Perhaps with that in mind, what does her set out to do and why did you decide to write it?
1: i just think that quote from satrimbridge house uh, sort of cuts through so much of the complexity and the uh the performativity of of much school improvement work and we just want people talking about the stuff they're doing uh, sometimes in informal ways and sometimes in structured ways um in terms of the the book um what it set out to do so it originally was john Thompson's idea to come up with this book. And um, he suggested it would be a good idea to talk to uh, subject leaders who were doing interesting stuff. And then on the basis of that, create a book which was um, going to take people into some examples of what some practice might look like. And um, so at the time, John was Uh, John was still head of the Huntington School in York, and my diary was pretty full. And I said, John, I don't think we've got time for this. And then I thought about it, and I thought, "Mm, I think there's a way. And actually, so what we then did was to record people on on video, and then we have the transcriptions sent over to be transcribed. And then John and I turn that into the different chapters. We don't use anything that anyone's not happy with. Um, but what it meant was that we had a really strong body of material. But we also had a number of assets. So we had we had the chapters for the book, but we also had the audio recordings and we also had the video recordings. So it meant that people could access the material uh, in multiple different different forms. But what we were essentially trying to do was to move away from the generic discussions about, you know, what curriculum development might look like when I think those are important, but actually to take it into the heart of, of people's practice. So that in a nutshell is why we decided to write it.
0: So interesting, and you can definitely tell this is a book with a variety of voices in there, which I think really enriches it. It's interesting that you also mention this idea of moving away from the generic. In the early pages of the book, you make an excellent argument around subject knowledge having to be at the heart of strong curriculum implementation. And to make this work, you advise marking, dodgy data and meaningless meetings all for the chop which I thought was a brilliant line. Can you just unpick that for us? Why is subject knowledge, in your view, so important to prioritise?
1: Well, at the heart of the curriculum, which is really the beating heart of the school, um, it, it, teachers need to, need to know some interesting stuff in, in order to be able to impart it to their pupils and students. And I call on the idea that The curriculum really needs to engage and motivate and stimulate the curiosity of the professionals first before they can uh, then convey that to to um, to their pupils and students. And so this is Jerome Brunner in the process of education saying that's what the curriculum really ought to do. First of all, you've also got in the quality of education. uh, Judgement reference to the fact that teachers need good subject knowledge, um, and where they've not good su- good subject knowledge, leaders need to put in place appropriate support. So for me, subject knowledge is like you know running a restaurant and and not paying attention to the quality of the ingredients that go into making the food that is then served, or it's like um, colleagues in medicine not taking account of you know the latest um the the latest information and the materials available and the drugs and therapies available you know to make people better so for me subject knowledge is uh of, of just sort of straightforward um importance but then given that it's gone further up the agenda the quality of uh, the curriculum for all sorts of reasons not just because of um the latest inspection framework, but for all sorts of reasons, it's gone up the agenda. What then follows from that is that we can't have um, schools just taking on more and more and more because people will keel over. So we have to say, what are we going to stop doing which we might want to do, in order to do something that is better, and that's Dylan Williams' insight. You know, what are some good things that we might be doing that we've got to take a tough decision about in order to do other things that are going to have greater impact on pupils and students? Um, and so, for instance, the the ones that I um, that I identify, marking, uh, most marking doesn't make a difference to to pupils' learning. Uh, When we do, Mark, let's make sure that it is making a difference to pupils and students learning. But it's day by day, you know, tick boxing and well done and all the rest of it. Just a waste of time. Um, The data that is collected in um, many parts of the sector uh, is not an accurate reflection of um, pupil standards. And so um, an awful lot of time is wasted on that. It does not give helpful information. And then um, what the schools have really taken on board is actually um, how they use their meetings, both in primary and secondary, making sure that their opportunities for professional development and the admin elements um, are, are included in an email or something. So it's just about having an intelligent focus on what is going to add the greatest um, value to pupils and students learning. And in order to do that, we've got to take some tough decisions about cutting back or eliminating some of the things I've mentioned.
0: I think that might resonate with a number of our listeners. And it's interesting, you also talked about how this experience of interviewing those people working in schools added a kind of authenticity to the research you were undertaking. And you also used this word fluidity around the curriculum conversations. It highlighted the fluidity of them. And perhaps we've touched on this slightly, but would you mind unpicking that? Because I think that's really interesting as well. What what did you mean by that?
1: Yes, so um, focusing this work on conversations, I was I was quite mindful before the book went out into the world that it could be critiqued um, onto accounts. I mean, the content can be critiqued, whatever, because you put stuff out there, and you know, you want professional discussion and debate and disagreement around it, which is fine. But I did wonder whether there might be some pushback on the fact that this was um, qualitative rather than quantitative stuff that we were putting out there and so i just did a bit of research about into the uh, methodologies that already existed in terms of research around Conversations and qualitative um, insights. And um, so, what emerged from that was that um, some really important insights in terms of conversations is that they can often take on a life of their own, and particularly when, or the content does, particularly when both parties come to it in a spirit of. professional respect, um, humility, openness to new ideas, that bouncing those ideas around can be of huge benefit to both both parties, both participants. And so it's in that sense, the fluidity uh, emerges. But also when John and I were having these interviews, and by the way, they're, they're still going on because we've since done two for primary, and now we're working uh, with colleagues in SEND, and then the next one will be alternative provision, is that um, we gain new insights, which are a result of that uh, to and fro of the conversations, and it's in that sense uh, that it is that it is fluid. Um, the second area I was con- more concerned about, actually, was that there might be some pushback from colleagues saying, "Oh, I." I wouldn't do it like that. You know, who do they think they are? (laughs) And I've been really, really surprised and heartened, unless I've missed it, but I don't think I have, is that people have taken it in the spirit in which it was intended. So this is one individual um, doing some good, solid work, but they're not setting themselves up as the be-all and end-all. This is about sharing something against which we can bounce our own ideas, our own provision, and then also potentially take some insights and incorporate that into ours. So I was really pleased by that because I did write in the forward, you know, this is meant to be an opener for discussion rather than the last word. And um, I didn't mind for myself or for John, if there was any pushback, we're big enough and ugly enough to take it. But I was concerned that there might be some of that for, for the colleagues we spoke to, but it do- doesn't appear to have been the case. So that's very heartening.
0: Absolutely. And I think it, it certainly is a book that inspires conversations. And I would say is very clear um, from, from the outset, that it sets out to do that. Uh, speaking of those conversations, I'm going to just read a short extract taken from page 17, if that's okay, because I think it's something that might again resonate with your mind. Absolutely fine. You write, senior leaders struggle to support subject leaders with the curriculum development because we are often intimidated by the terminology used to discuss the curriculum. We do not know enough about curriculum design, we do not have a thorough knowledge of the subjects we line manage. The problem for subject leaders is that we struggle with curriculum development, because we're often intimidated by the terminology used to discuss the curriculum. We feel we have to reinvent the whole curriculum. We do not have the resources we need to shape the ideal curriculum we envisage. We're given unrealistic deadlines for completing our curriculum development work by senior leaders who do not know our subjects. So finding commonality here does sound challenging, and I'm really aware this is uh, (laughs) to your comments earlier on about tick boxing, it's possibly a a bit of a a non-question. But what are some solutions to these challenges, if there are any?
1: Yes, I think it's an ongoing piece of work. So it's certainly not a silver bullet. That's where the conversational dialogic aspect comes into this. So we were very clear that this was about the, the kinds of conversations subject leaders would hope to have with their senior leaders and to provide some background for that. Now, it's never, ever a blame game, um, but the senior leadership roles in up until relatively recently were not focused on this level of detail. And I don't think they need to be experts within, within the subject that they're line managing. That being said, you do need to know the headlines, and so that's what the chapters were designed to do, to take a look at what one subject was doing in one school, so that you got quite a short route in if you were leading this subject either for the first time, and it was out of your own first discipline. But what we then asked um, the subject leaders we spoke to was to say, can you suggest a handful of articles that you would like your sub, your senior leader to read beforehand, before you have those conversations? And also, could you suggest some questions you would like them to ask you? So again, you've got this laying out on one side, because the, the, the paradox that needs to be a bit unpicked here is it's quite often the senior leader in a hierarchical system, which education is, um, in conversation with someone who is relatively junior to them, but the junior person holds all the cards in terms of the, right. the subject thing. So this is why you have to come to it with a spirit, as I mentioned earlier, of humility and, and curiosity and, and open questioning. So at the heart of what we were, we were trying to do was to um, unpick some of those um, uh, tricky questions. Um that being said, um, I think some of the terminology um, I think in some quarters became quite complicated, and uh, was sometimes a barrier to those conversations, um, particularly if um, you know the senior leader was was new new to it. Now there are some there are some subject disciplines which have got the um, the various terminology. Uh, well sorted, well thought through, and commonly agreed by the sector. I mean, history is is one of those. Um, and RE is also religious education is also increasingly in that space of just talking about the different lenses through which we look at the content. But in some cases, it just got just became a bit of a barrier. And so uh, again, we just wanted to try to unpick some of that so that uh, it overcame that sort of potential. Fear of having these proper conversations,
0: and are we sort of uh, are we alluding here to a, I suppose, a shared a shared language, Mary, would you say?
1: Yeah, I think as long as it's shared amongst the colleagues within the school, um but th- there's no doubt that it does reach out into the into the wider uh, subject communities to so, to give you an example from uh, religious education. and um I'm thinking here of Nikki McGee's great work with the Inspiration Trust, and she draws um, on the Norfolk agreed syllabus, um, which has been groundbreaking, really, in terms of um, thinking about the lenses through which we consider RE content. So they they identify three: um, philosophy, theology, and sociology. And the remarkable thing is, is this, it makes it really rich, really interesting for for pupils and students, but actually really takes their learning deeper and they get to grips with it really carefully when it's it's made clear. Um, And then a quick example from history is that, um, you know, there are historic events which are uncontested, 1066, uh, for example, but historians have different views on the significance and impact of events. And so you have someone like Richard Kennett, um, brilliant historian and a senior leader across a trust in Bristol, who will expose his year seven pupils to those different discourses. One example from Mark Morris and another from um, Simon Schamer. So you're taking the children into the Place where historians would be discussing uh, these from different perspectives. So I think they can be really, really helpful. You just don't want them to be. Just don't want them to be barriers to conversations. <laughs>
0: This actually, I think, leads us quite nicely onto onto the next question. I suppose one of the challenges, of course, is being able to create the shared uh, language or understanding. And arguably, you might say the same around educational policies. And there's a brilliant chapter in the book called Curriculum Leadership, written by Claire Hill. And in that, she discusses this idea of the lethal mutation of policies that are not implemented in the original way that they were intended. I just wondered, you have such a wealth of experience working in and around schools. Do you find this happens often in schools? And if so, how might it be avoided?
1: Yes, it does sometimes happen. But I think schools are more mindful of being uh, true to the original principles and findings but you do still sometimes find it happens um particularly around things like uh, retrieval practice, interleaving um and you know you still always <laughs> get oh what we did assessment for learning last term as though it's not a thing that needs to be continually uh, re- revisited in terms of the in terms of the curriculum, I think one of the dangers is is that there's a conflation between the plans being written and the and the fact that they're done, well, mm. this work is never done, which is why the work is called Huh, the, the Egyptian God of Everlasting Things, Creativity, Regeneration. Um, uh, So this idea that we can wrap something up completely, um, I think, is misplaced. So for myself, my work is always work in progress and draft. Um, and that's because I want the right to change my mind, but also because I'm trying to model to colleagues that, um, this work is always uh, in a place to be refined, fine-tuned over time, um, but I think this notion that the curriculum plans, once they've been written up, are then a thing is is, is misplaced, and so that's where senior leaders need to be creating the time and the space where that's, there's ongoing time for discussing resources, talking about high quality texts and uh, misconceptions and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, an on- it's about being, continuing to be alert and to the, to the potential signing things off as being completed and done.
0: And I suppose, absolutely. And being aware, I suppose, of what those policies are out there. Are there any fads or are there more meaningful discussions we can bring to the table based on that research that's there, I suppose, as well?
1: Yes, and the research is always there. It's provisional, but we use it in an intelligent way in terms of best bets, as Dylan Williams would say. You know, is this likely to be useful in my context, in my classroom? If so, I'll give it a go and evaluate it. If I don't think it is, I don't have to use it. But if I am going to be including some things, got to make sure that they are done uh, intentionally uh, and uh, and purposefully,
0: so interesting. Thank you, Mary. I've got to ask you one more question if you don't mind. And it's really this one's in the spirit of thanking those who have transformed our own lives. I just wondered, Mary, is there a teacher who perhaps you had as a student who particularly inspired you?
1: Um, yes, actually, she also was a member of my family. She was my aunt, and oh she wow, did, she didn't she didn't teach me, but she was a primary teacher and she just had such a, uh, a lively sense of curiosity and possibility about human potential and learning and the world we live in, that it definitely it definitely infected uh, my enthusiasm for uh, being in this great space. So I'm very grateful to her.
0: <laughs> curiosity, one of the most fundamental aspects of working in education, I would say.
1: Yes, indeed. <laughs>
0: That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Mary. Uh, Just for our listeners here, Her Curriculum Conversations Between Subject and Senior Leaders by Mary Myatt and John Thompson is available now. It's published by John Catt and it's an absolutely brilliant start when you're thinking about those conversations that we should be having in schools. And I would say an absolute must-own for your teaching and learning libraries. Mary, thank you so much again. We're so grateful that you joined
1: us today. Oh, a real pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Oliver.
0: This was Harrison Conversation. My name is Ollie Blagden. You can find the Harris English Consultants on Twitter at HFed English. If you haven't already, check out our other teaching and learning and research interviews at Anchor.fm forward slash Harrison Conversation. And our latest subject knowledge podcast for students at Anchor.fm. Forward slash learning with Harris. You can find both podcasts on Spotify. Join us soon for our next interview, and until then, take care.